God, there is great news this morning because you have sent your Son in very nature, God, among us to, to walk among ordinary people like us and to look the same as us. He looked like, like any other ordinary person. There's nothing in his appearance to draw us to him. And, and yet, through his ministry, we, his, his people came to see that, that this is truly the Son of God, the one with all authority. And we trace the story, we, we follow the story through his death for us and through the resurrection and defeat of the grave. That's great news. I pray this morning that, that coming out of Easter, we would have great joy and that this great message of, of death and resurrection, of, of new life, this best news, would, would be the foundation of our lives together and the foundation of our, of our life as a church. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, December 17th, 2005 was a great day. Uh, I'm told that the weather was uh, bitter cold and it's possible that it was very overcast, but I didn't notice any of that because this was the day that was the culmination of one of the best things that has ever happened to me. This was the day that I got to marry Emily Bauer. Uh, this was the last day of a journey that had started really years earlier. Uh, it started with the realization that I had grown uh, quite attached to this girl that I had grown up with. I was surprised uh, one day during college uh, when I found out that she had gone on a date with another guy that, that I felt jealousy. And uh, to be honest, I was a little ashamed that I, that I felt that because, you know, we weren't dating or anything. She was just a girl I knew from back home. Why should I feel uh, jealous of this at all? And, and so I decided that, that I needed to put on my big boy pants and do what I needed to do. I decided to kind of ignore those feelings, pretend they weren't there, uh, and just hope everything kind of worked out on its own. Of course, that didn't work very long, and eventually I did uh, have that conversation with her, took her out to breakfast, and explained the problem. Well, it turns out that uh, I want to be more than just friends, and, and that was the beginning of this whole process, and we started uh, dating one another, and we took classes together, we went on long walks together, we went out to eat, all these things, and, and all of that was leading up to this particular date, December 17, 2005, standing in front of God, in front of our family, in front of our friends, and uh, vowing to uh, live together, to pledge our lives to one another till death uh, do us part. And, and there was so much preparation leading up to this wedding day that it almost feel like, felt like the, the wedding itself was kind of the, the end. Right? This was the culmination of everything leading up to it because, of course, there was the, the whole dating side of things and there was getting engaged, there was looking for rings prior to that, and then it was lining up the church and, and it was lining up the pastor and having premarital counseling and, and picking out a cake and picking out an invitation, all of this stuff leading up to this date. So it, it almost felt like this was the conclusion to the journey of friendship and dating and engagement that had now at long last led to marriage. And it would be easy to kind of then say, okay, now we get to take a, a deep breath, relax, and, and settle in. But, but of course, that's not the end at all, right? After we got home from our wedding, then we had work ahead of us. We, we had to learn to live together, to, to learn what it meant to, to be husband and wife and to have this new life. So rather than being the, the end of the story, this was actually the start of a new story. It's time to get to work now. And so it is with what at first glance looks like it's the end of the story of Jesus. This is what we celebrated uh, last week with the last chapter of the book of Matthew, the resurrection of Jesus. And it looks like the culmination of the story. We see through the, the birth narratives and, and the stories of the ministry of Jesus and his authority, his healing power, all of this stuff, we see building the story of Jesus. And it leads to this, this long section of text where it goes to Good Friday and goes to the cross. And then coming out of that is the resurrection. This looks like it's, it's the, the end of the story of Jesus, the culmination of, of everything we have learned so far about who Jesus is. 
And we celebrated that uh, last week with Easter, and it, it seems like now we can take a deep breath as a church and, okay, Easter's over. We made it through that season. We celebrated the death and resurrection of Jesus, and now we get to kind of catch our breath again. But we see this morning that that wasn't actually the end of the story. That was a pivot point in the story, and now it's a new journey, and we as a church don't get to take a deep breath now. We get to get to work. So this is what we see at the, the end of the book of uh, Matthew, the last three verses. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 is our text this morning. Go ahead and turn there uh, if you haven't done that already. You can grab a Bible from the pew racks. Matthew 28 is found on page 1,554, the pew Bibles. The text that we're looking at today, this very end of the section of the book of Matthew, is known as the Great Commission. And it's about what happens after the resurrection of Jesus as uh, Jesus addresses his first followers. He sends them out on a mission. And this is really where we get our mission as a church as well, to make more and stronger disciples. It comes right here from this passage of Jesus uh, giving us this command. So we look at this uh, short little text here. We're going to see three reasons that the church today is on mission. Look at those in turn. The first reason is about authority. Jesus has, we are on mission because Jesus has all authority. That's the first verse of this great commission. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the context for this statement is the resurrection. This is what we saw last week. Jesus died on a cross, he was crucified, and on the third day he was raised to life again. This is a really big deal. And all throughout this book that Matthew is writing is the story of how Jesus' followers, people like Matthew himself, came to realize that this is true, that Jesus is the Son of God with all authority in heaven and on earth. And throughout the book, Matthew has been building the case so that we can see that this is true. So it starts at the very beginning with the genealogy that he starts with. He traces Jesus back to the line of David that the ideal king of Israel, which means that Jesus is in line with the promises that God spoke through his prophets of a true king, David, a better king, David, who would come and rescue God's people. And then from there, we see that the angel comes before Jesus' birth and pronounces that he is going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And then Jesus is baptized, and this voice booms down from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then through Jesus' life and ministry, we see him showing supernatural power, healing all kinds of sicknesses and diseases, even stilling a raging storm when his boat's about to be capsized. And in addition to the supernatural power of Jesus, we also see his supernatural authority. We see him teaching what it means to be obedient to God, teaching God's truth with great authority, and then even pronouncing the forgiveness of sins, something that no human would be able to do. So all of this is leading up to this final chapter, which tells us the story of this Jesus who was crucified, being raised from the dead. So this is the culmination of the earthly ministry of Jesus, and it leads to the conclusion that Jesus just pronounces, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And this is the foundation for the church and the foundation for our mission as a church. It means that Jesus is the ultimate authority over us. Whatever Jesus says, we will do, and that's why the church is on mission. We are on mission because Jesus has all authority. This idea of authority is, is a big deal. We learn this at, at a very young age. Watch kids someday, especially siblings, and then sooner or later, you're going to see the topic of authority come up. Because kid A eventually is going to tell kid B, hey, you need to go do that thing for me. And kid B is going to realize that there is an authority issue here. And they're going to say, says who? Or, you're not the boss of me. 
They realize that this is an authority issue, right? And, and this person is not authoritative over me, so I don't have to actually do what they say. Without this authority that Jesus pronounces, without this authority being true, then the big command that he is going to give his people is merely a suggestion. It's not binding on us. But this, this note of authority could not be more strongly stated. All authority, nothing outside of the scope of that, in heaven or on earth. There's nothing outside of the scope of the authority of Jesus, which means when he gives his followers this command, it's not a suggestion. It's not something we can shrug our shoulders and say, well, maybe if I have some time, I'll do that. Or, no, I'd rather not do that, thank you. No, he is the one who has all authority. So when he tells us to do something, it's binding on us. We are called to do it. We have to actually obey him. And the resurrection is really the seal that this is indeed true, that Jesus does have all authority in heaven and on earth. He truly is the Son of God. And this is where the Christian life begins for us. It begins with this acknowledgement that Jesus really is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It comes with bowing ourselves to him, saying, yes, he is my Lord. He is my King. What he does, I will say. That's where the Christian life begins. It begins with this question of authority. This is the first reason that the church is on mission, is because we realize that Jesus is authoritative. And the second reason, this is really the heart of the passage, the second reason is about command. We are on mission because Jesus commands us to make disciples of all nations. This is the heart of the passage, verse 19 and 20. Jesus says, therefore, in light of his authority, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So this is the command. This is the central part of this passage that Jesus is giving to his followers. And again, it's very comprehensive in scope. It's go make disciples of all nations. So this is for all people everywhere. The whole globe, everyone everywhere is in view here. Now, Jesus has just spent the entire last three years of his ministry making the people that he's speaking this command to his own disciples. Now, disciple is, is a word that doesn't get used much outside of church circles, but it's a very important word for the church. A disciple is someone who has a Lord, who has a master, and they're devoted to that master. They, they learn obedience to them. They learn from the master. They're devoted to them. They pattern their life after what the master says. They are obedient to that master. That's what has happened to these uh, 11 original disciples. Jesus taught them what it means to live in obedience to God. He modeled life for them. He trained them to be able to minister as he is now calling them to do. So now Jesus is sending them out into the world to make more of themselves, to make more disciples of Jesus. And it means that they're called to intentional action. He says, go make disciples. There's not, they're not to kind of casually sit at home and, and hope somehow that people gather to them and they can kind of teach them what Jesus taught them. They are to go and to replicate with others what has happened to them. And this mission is, is expressed uh, further with two different activities, baptizing and teaching. Baptism is, is a symbol of conversion. It's a public declaration of discipleship to Jesus, that yes, he is my master, he is my king. It's also a symbol of entry into a relationship. And so when Jesus instructs his followers to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, it's about identifying with and being in a relationship with this God who has shown himself to be what we call Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. 
So this is the, the initial step of what it means to be a disciple, to, to put ourselves under the, the lordship, the kingship of Jesus. And then alongside of baptism is teaching. Again, this is a comprehensive command. Teach them to obey everything, all that I have commanded you. Over the past three years, Jesus has taught these disciples quite a bit, and we have his teaching recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel narratives. So there's a lot here that they are to teach others. This means that, that Jesus' followers aren't just looking for quick converts, like, like check a box or sign on the dotted line or, or, or pray a prayer asking Jesus into your heart. Instead, what they're doing is they're replicating with others the process that Jesus has brought them through. And this is a lifelong process of learning to live all of life with Jesus as king. It has taken these 11 a long time to get where they are, and it will be an ongoing process with them. They'll continue to grow to, to learn what it means to live all of life under the kingship of Jesus. But as they continue to learn, they're to take others on that same journey with them. But one of the important correctives, particularly for the American church, is that this is about life transformation. It's about becoming a disciple of Jesus. It's not just about checking a box of conversion. A few weeks ago, I was reminded uh, when I was at another church of, of a scene in the Jack Black film, uh, Nacho Libre. Maybe a couple of you have seen it. It's not that important. Uh, but Jack Black's character uh, becomes a luchador, this, this Mexican pro wrestler, to try to raise funds for this uh, Catholic orphan, orphanage that he is uh, working at. And so he gets this tag team partner, and they are going to um, uh, compete in these fights and raise money uh, to give to the orphanage. But he's concerned because his tag team partner is an atheist, and he wants God's power and God's favor on his own side. And, and so as they're preparing for their next fight, he, he fills up a big bowl full of water and kind of sneaks up behind his tag team partner, grabs him by the head, and, and dunks his head over and says, okay, well, I baptized you now. And he's, and he's content then. Okay, well, now God is going to be on our side because he is converted, he is now baptized, he is no longer a pagan. Fantastic. And of course, if we see something like this, we realize that that's obviously not what Jesus is talking about. He's not just trying to get us to, to trick someone into to praying a particular prayer or, or to dunk them and get them wet with water. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And yet sometimes we settle for that type of baptism or we settle for that type of conversion. I was at a restaurant in town a number of years ago, and uh, the person I was eating with um, outed me as a pastor, which is always a little bit of a, an interesting thing to see how the reaction comes after that. But when the waitress found this out, she said, oh, well, I was saved once. I got saved one time. And it was interesting that as she was talking about this, and as she talked about it so kind of succinctly and as such a, a finite one-time sort of a thing, it was pretty clear that, that she didn't know what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Somewhere along the line, someone had convinced her to, to pray the prayer, the sinner's prayer, and, and uh, she did that, and they told her, then you are saved. You are going to heaven because you prayed this particular prayer. And undoubtedly, that person went and, and uh, reported her as, as a new convert, someone who had been saved. But it was very clear that she had no idea what it meant to be a disciple. Someone just checked a box with her, and in her mind, mentally, she's checked off, okay, I'm going to heaven now when I die. But she has no concept of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to live all of life with him as king. We celebrate, of course, when someone comes to pray a prayer of faith. We celebrate, of course, when someone is baptized and, and they take this step of discipleship. But our mission is to make disciples. We're not here to just try to 
get as many people as possible to, to pray a particular prayer and have particular kind of language. We're not here to try to fill up the pews in, in a church building. We are here to make disciples of Jesus, people who understand what it means to, to live day in and day out with Jesus as our King. This is what the church must be doing, and we must be focused on this day in and day out. We are here to help people encounter Jesus in a life-changing way. This is about life transformation, all of life. This is why we do what we do. This is why uh, this year we're encouraging our whole church family to take this uh, Read Scripture Challenge. We've got this great app that you can download, and many of you have done that. And If you're not a tech person, we've got um, uh, these uh, bookmarks out in the lobby as well, and people have been taking these and checking them off as they go. But the reason we do this isn't to give you another thing to do. This is part of teaching to obey everything that Jesus commanded. We want to know God. We want to know who he is. We want to know what he has done. And this is how we do it. He has given us his word so that we can know him truly. So that you don't have to rely on what I say or what anyone else says. You can get in the word of God and hear what God wants to communicate to you. That's why we're, we're challenging our whole church family to do this. We need to be in God's word so that we can know him truly. To know what it means to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. That's also why we're encouraging everyone to be part of a life group. It's easy for us to think of church as something we go to on Sunday mornings or to think of church as an event, but it's not that. It's about a lifestyle of following Jesus in every aspect, and so life groups are designed to go beyond Sunday mornings to get in, so that we can get into one another's lives and we can encourage one another and we can grow together. And this is what Jesus did with his disciples. He, he lived life with them. He taught them. He trained them. He modeled for them what it means to live in obedience to God. This is what we are called to. Disciple-making is the core mission of the church. The reason that we are on this mission is because of the authority of Jesus. He has authority, and he commanded us to do this. There's one more reason. The third reason about, is about the promise that Jesus gives us. We are on mission because Jesus promises to always be with us. I love how this passage ends. The last part of verse 20. Jesus says, And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you're like me, you probably focus on the action side of this. Go, make disciples, teach, baptize. Okay, this is something I can do. I'm going to put my energy into this. I'm, I'm going to try hard. I'm going to do this. Action-oriented. But Jesus doesn't leave us with just a command. He leaves us with a promise. We are not going to be on our own. And this serves as a really important bookend to the book of Matthew. This book actually started with a pronouncement about the presence of Jesus. Before he was born, uh, the angel came and pronounced that he would be Emmanuel in line with God's promises. So Matthew 1.23 is quoting from Isaiah chapter 7, a prophecy of this coming king. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So at the beginning of this book, and at the end of this book, we have this declaration of the presence of Jesus. He is God with us from the very beginning, and then the last thing he leaves us with is, again, he is with us always to the very end of the age. And that promise changes the whole tenor of the Great Commission. It gives us reassurance that we are not alone, and we don't have to do this in our own strength or in our own power. Our king, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who commands us to go and to make disciples, promises to be with us, always. 
And the presence of Christ makes all the difference in the world. I was thinking about that this week, and I remembered a time back in high school when I, uh, some friends and I went, went fishing, and, and my dad came alongside of us. And uh, this was a little bit different fishing. We were fishing on the Clutina River for King Salmon in Alaska. And we fish a little different than you do on the, on the big lake here. Uh, what we do is you kind of cast upstream and, and, and the, the um, lure bounces along the bottom and then hopefully you entice the salmon to come and grab that and, and start taking it upstream. So it's a little bit of a different process than you guys do here. So on one of those upriver casts, my, as I, I was watching my uh, little bobber go down uh, the river, I noticed this kind of dark blob coming toward me in the middle of the river. And I thought, well, I don't know what that is, but, but I decided I'd just reel in my, my lure and kind of watch this thing, and it, it swam over to the bank, and it materialized into this big grizzly bear. Now, I, I'm not uh, ashamed to admit that I am more or less terrified of uh, bears, particularly grizzly bears. I've heard enough stories, and, and I've seen their, their raw power and strength that basically, if I see one of these uh, face-to-face in person, I am uh, more or less petrified. But there's something different about that particular time. I didn't panic that time because I realized standing within 10 feet of my side was my dad. And he was between me and the bear, which is nice. Uh, and then he also had this large caliber revolver strapped to his waist, which was another line of protection, which was great. But, but I, and then, of course, the, the bear just ended up disappearing into the woods. We didn't see it again. But I, I realized, in retrospect, how different that experience would have been if my dad had not been there. If he hadn't been there, if it was just me and my friends, even if we had a pistol or something with us, even if we had some kind of bear protection, we would have been scared to death. We would have huddled up and got out of there as quickly as we could, watching all directions and looking over our shoulder the whole time. But instead, I knew that he was there and he could protect us. We actually went back to fishing. I kept looking over my shoulder a little bit. I'm not saying I wasn't shaking at all, but, but I, it was a different experience because my dad was there and, and I knew he would be able to uh, help us. He would be able to protect us. This promise that Jesus gives us that that he will be present is a wonderful promise for his people. And really, it's so much better than than me knowing that my dad's there with with a firearm to protect me because it's not just about me feeling better. This means that there is real power behind the mission that Jesus gives us. We are not alone. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is with us always to the very end. And this highlights an important thing for the church today to understand. We need Jesus. That's the most obvious statement in the world, but it's one that's very easy for us to lose track of and to forget. We need Jesus. We need him desperately. The church without Jesus and the church without the mission that Jesus has given us, it's just meaningless. It's a powerless social club at that point. It's just a group of people that decides to get together sometimes. And you're all really nice people, but I'm not going to give my life to that. That's not what we're designed to, to pour ourselves into. See, this passage is a huge passage for us because it, it, it directs our attention. It gives us a, a meaning and a purpose. It gives us a king to follow and to obey. Church is not a social group. That, that's not its primary purpose. It's a group of people who have come to see that this Jesus is truly king. It's a group of people who have become disciples of him and who have been given this mission to make more disciples of Jesus. And this is a needed mission because there are people all around us who don't yet know Jesus. We are called to get to work. This is why after Easter, there's a little bit of a lull here, a little bit in attendance, a little bit of lull in energy maybe. But this is when we get a chance to be commissioned as a church 
to actually get to work and to be part of something huge. See, we, we have the best news in the world to share. There is a God who loves us, and, and he loves us enough that he sent his own son into our world, and that son died for us, the death that we deserved. He died instead, and what that means is that if we put our trust in him, everything wrong we've ever done is forgiven for us. We are reconciled to him. We become sons and daughters of God himself, and that son was also raised from death to life so that everyone who, believe, who belongs to Jesus will live forever with him, even after death. We'll get to live in the perfect world that God creates for us. This is the best news in the world. Have you ever noticed that, that people settle for much smaller good news? When we were living in, in the Chicago suburbs still, we were part of uh, what's called a CSA, a Community Supported Agriculture uh, Project. This, this guy named Steve, uh, in the middle of all this massive development in the suburbs, had this big farm. And uh, what you could do is kind of buy a share of that farm, and then every week you'd get a bag of produce. And, and you get things like kohlrabi that you have no idea what to do with. But nonetheless, you get this fresh, organic produce every week. And it was great. And, and it won... Um, one day, some, some friends of ours uh, went alongside us and we actually worked at the farm. We got to plant basil. It was great to smell basil all day long, but as we went row after row, these long rows of basil, Steve, the farmer, told us his story. And as he told us his story, I realized he was sharing with us the gospel of organic farm produce. His, uh, his story was that he was overweight. He was in really poor health and, and for most of his adult life. And, and eventually, his doctor told him that, that if he continued on this path, he was headed for serious trouble and an early death. And so, he set about to change his life. And, and this fresh, organic produce was his Savior. And he spoke of it in those terms. He talked about how uh, starting this farm and being part of it and the produce that it developed really transformed his life. And, and his cholesterol went down, his blood pressure went down, his heart was healthier, he had more energy, he had a new lease on life. He was proclaiming how great his salvation was. Life transformation. Now, I like fresh organic produce. It was fun to be part of the co-op. I'm, I'm happy for Steve that his life uh, really turned around. But that salvation story is nothing compared to the story that, that we have a privilege of being part of and, and being able to pass on. The gospel of organic produce is such minor good news compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the best news ever, and we are commissioned to share that message. This is the mission that, that Jesus has given us, to go and to make more disciples of him. And that's what we are about as a church. For, for all of the activity, for everything that happens here, the, the center of it, the heart of our activity, is the mission to make more and stronger disciples of Jesus. Because this is what we're called to. Now some of us, when we hear that, we, we filter it a little bit in our minds, and we feel like that disciple-making mission, at least the, the front lines of that, must be for someone else. Maybe the, the really uh, charismatic people people, they're the ones who can make disciples. Or maybe the, the really smart people who, who know a lot about the Bible, maybe they're the ones who can disciple other people. We feel like that we don't really have a lot to offer. Let's leave that to the pros. But, but that's, not what, that's not what the church is about. I mean, yes, everyone has different skills. Everyone has, has different gifts given to us by God. But don't forget the promise that Jesus gave us. I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is not in our own strength, in our own power. This is using the, the giftedness, using the, the personality that God has given us to be able to be part of this great mission. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are called to be part of this in obedience to Jesus. 
And of course, the big question is, how? How can we actually do that? And that's what we've talked about over the past year with this idea of one mission. That's what one mission really is all about. And hopefully you've seen the poster out there. If you've been here less than a year, you maybe have some questions about what all this is about. But, but this is what it's about. It's each one of us who is a follower of Jesus realizing that, that we are called and realizing that, that I don't have to be able to reach 100 people by myself. I don't have to be the, the most charismatic, evangelistic kind of a person. But I can focus on one person, Maybe my, my coworker, my, my neighbor, my friend, someone that I already have a relationship with that, that's on my heart that right now doesn't know Jesus. And, and we see God's heart for this, that, that each one really matters to him. This verse, Luke 15, 10, that we focused on with, with one mission, that Jesus says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He tells the story of, of, of a, a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and one sheep wanders away. So he's got 99 sheep. That's a pretty good return rate. But he leaves the 99 and goes after that one single lost sheep. And there is rejoicing when he finds that sheep. That is God's heart for those who today are far from him. Each one matters to him. And that means that we can actually make a difference. If, if I can only just focus on my one person, if I can focus on how I can disciple that one person, that matters to God. That can make a difference for eternity. And this past Christmas, we had a big Christmas tree up here. And we had our little red ornaments and each one who had this person, this one that, we, that God put on our hearts, we, we put those little ornaments on that tree. And when I put my single ornament on there, it doesn't look like much. But when we have a whole church full of people putting ornaments on that tree, suddenly we see that impact in our community is multiplied if each one of us is committing to this together. That's what one mission is really about. It's about seeing the difference that, that okay, me focusing in on, okay, how can I disciple my one person? Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, you're not sure what to make of this message, this might sound kind of off-putting to you. You might wonder, well, am I someone's one? Does that mean I'm some kind of project? Or, you know, that doesn't really feel very good. Am I, if I'm being invited to church or, or being invited to someone's house, does that mean I'm, I'm just, you know, something that they're trying to do their little good deed for? That's not our heart for this at all. The truth is that, that Jesus means the world to us. He's the best thing that has ever happened to us, and, and we want others to be able to experience what we've experienced of how amazing Jesus is. You're not a project. We, we care deeply about you, and that's why you are invited to church. That's why you're invited to people's homes, because they care deeply for you. Now, the inertia, the, the natural tendency for us is to lose focus on this, and frankly, I, I think we've done that to agree. I, I think we've lost focus that this is our heartbeat as Christians. This is our heartbeat as a church. We must not allow ourselves in, in the busyness and the distraction to be drawn away from this, this core of what we are about. And so we want to recommit to this uh, together again. Maybe you've never had a chance to fill out one of our little cards. There's a display right on the other side of that wall, a whole bunch of these cards. And the, the idea here is to, to write the name of your one person, that person that God has put in your heart, Write the name of that person, then carry it with you in your wallet. Put it on, on your bathroom vanity mirror. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it day in and day out as a reminder that this is what we're about. This is what we are called to, commissioned to by Jesus himself. There's a board out there as well. It's made of acrylic. There's a little marker. You can actually put the first initial of your one on that as a sign of your commitment. Yes, I, I am going to be part of this. I'm going to be obedient to Jesus and be part of this mission that he's called us to. And then follow up on it. Pray for this person. Invite them to your house. Build that relationship with them. Yes, we are busy people. Yes, we are distracted people, but we have to rearrange our lives 
so that we can actually live in obedience to Jesus. And, and the truth is that you are doing things right now that you need to stop doing. And you're also doing things right now that are good things that you can now use intentionally to be able to build relationship with others as well. But the, the, the point is that, that this is what we are about. This is the core of who we are. We as a church are, are committed to this. And if you were with us last July, you know that we, we together committed $315,000 as a church over the next three years to do some renovations to our facility to make it a better tool for this disciple-making mission. And we want it to be a place that is better for welcoming others, better for discipling others. And if you've been through that, a lot of people have been giving very faithfully over the past year. We've raised almost half of that amount already. Now, if you've been giving, you're probably wondering, well, what's happening now? We haven't heard a lot of progress. We haven't seen a lot of things happening. And maybe it feels like uh, we as a church have lost focus on this as well. The good news is, in in two weeks, we're going to have a chance to share an update on what that looks like. Uh, May 7th, after the second service, 12.30 p.m., we're going to have our architect here and our project team here. Uh, There's some some great developments there, uh, exciting things. Uh, Please join us for that meeting to hear a little bit more about what this is going to look like in the future. It's a great chance to to get an update, and um, you really don't want to miss uh, that meeting as well. That's in two weeks. But, But what I want to focus on this morning is remember that this is our core apart from this mission that Jesus has given us, then, then we're just spinning our wheels. We're just playing church and wasting time. But no, we are here to make disciples, and we are going to give our lives to that great commission because Jesus calls us to it. He calls us to make disciples. And so this is the one thing that we are about, the one thing that we're going to pour our lives into day in and day out because we have the best news in the world to share, and our King commissions us to go and share that news so that more people would find life in him. Pray with me. God, I thank you that the story of Jesus uh, is a story that continues today. It's not a story that ends with Easter and we can remember that every year and celebrate and then get on with our lives as normal. But instead we see that this is, this is something that changes every aspect of our lives. We get meaning, purpose, identity, new life, transformation through the gospel. We are now called to mission. And I pray that that we as a church would not lose track of that, that we would not get distracted, that we would not be too busy, that we would see, no, this is what we are about. I pray that you would call us to this, to give us a focus on it and make us effective so that more and more people would praise your name through your son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.